1: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 37 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of ComicBook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and today we're just keeping the crew tight. It's Matt Aguilar. What up? Janelle Wheeler. Hey, everybody. And, uh, yeah, obviously we're coming to you guys at a (laughs) a really interesting time where I'm sure, I'm not even sure how many people feel like dipping into something like this right now, today, today. But then again, on the other hand, we also know there might be a lot of people looking for just this kind of thing to take their minds off, you know, the world crumbling and whatnot. So we thought we'd be here today and uh, kind of do what we do to try to help you guys. And because there's a lot of ways to help. And so uh, just to get into something that kind of does bring people together, these fandoms, geek culture has been known as a, you know, great unifier for many, many good reasons, even with some of the bad stuff that we have to go through. So we talk about some stuff that brings us together, makes us laugh, makes us happy. And in this kind of edition of the show, we're also going to do a special thing, uh, you know, considering how stressful things are right now. We take a minute and kind of uh, roasted some good vibes. And so we're going to do some kind of look backs at good vibe moments in geekdom that really meant something to us where people were kind of brought together by the things they love and fandom. And we'll do that a little retrospective. But we also have some things to talk about because the news is Still going, even if it's at a trickle. So we got to talk about what's happening on the Batwoman front with that show. Tiger King is not quite done yet. Rick and Morty just ended, and we got to talk about that. Space Force is here, not the government agency, but the new Netflix comedy uh, that we are going to be reviewing. And That's awesome. And Moon Knight is making trouble in the Marvel Universe. Jim's not here to answer for him, but we are going to talk about that too. So... Kind of a nice show that we can, like I said, help soak in some good vibes. So let's get started. All right, right at the top, let's talk about Batwoman. So Batwoman, the Arrowverse show, had a major shakeup when um, star Ruby Rose announced that she was leaving after season one. Uh, basically, she just kind of moved on. We haven't still heard like the full breakdown on this, but, you know, all signs point to her just the wear and tear of doing a TV show like that, you know, literally and figuratively in her case yeah. with the... Nearly life altering injuries she suffered to just the demanding schedule to just you know the fandom, the backlash, you know, all the negativity, some of that. She just moved on, and so they were going to recast the, char- the character of Kate Kane Batwoman for season two. Um, and there were some pretty good, uh, there were some pretty good kind of nominations. The uh, what's her name from uh, uh, Krypton was a great thing that we were all kind of looking at. But now there was kind of a fly in the ointment. That's a strange twist to this story, where it seems that now the CW is taking a different approach to all this. And instead of recasting Kate Kane, they're basically go maybe going to be looking at creating a new character to kind of take over the Batwoman mantle in season two. Um, And it's kind of a cat. It's from a casting call that popped up on Reddit, so it's not like 100% official. But it seems to be leaning this way. And it's a new character that's, uh, what's her name? Ryan Wilder. And the casting call is basically, she's likable, messy. She's goofy and untamed. She's nothing like Kate Kane. And with no one to keep, she was a year, she spent years on the wrong side of the law, doing drug running, jog, dodging, you know, Gotham City cops. And, you know, kind of making her way in the underworld that way. And she's a dangerous, you know, she's also LGBTQ plus She's athletic, raw, passionate, fallible, you know, all this stuff. So she's kind of, basically, it's kind of like the Jason Todd of Batwoman, right? Like, this is what this sounds like. This is just like...
2: Yeah, I love just the like, sound of this. And I, I love mean, that they're doing that. I think it's great that, you know, instead of trying to replace someone that fans fell in love with, they're just hopefully going to create another person for fans to latch on to and really care about. So you are in favor
1: of this. I am.
2: I like that because I don't, I I never like it. Even if the character isn't the greatest, whenever you just like outright replace someone, it's just, it's an awkward transition. I think it's just hard to process. And I really love the idea of a new character. And by the sound of this one, she sounds really almost even like nerdy, but like uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, edgy at the same time. It just sounds really cool. I want want to know more about this character for sure.
1: Matt, as a kind of DC Comics expert on the show and particularly a Batwoman fan, how do you feel about this?
3: Well, I'm not as positive as Janelle. (laughs) Uh, Surprise! I'm I'm not as positive. But no, but I love that. And and I I feel like you are going to get both camps here. For me personally, I feel like the only reason you do something like this is because you think at some point Ruby would come back, whether that's a permanent thing or as a cameo deal. So you don't want to, you want to leave that opportunity open because that would be a a big ratings draw at some point. If she did want to come back as the character, you write her out and then leave it open. Um, Yeah. I mean, for me, this this show is about Batwoman and Batwoman is Kate Kane. So if for me, it's like kind of hard to, oh, well, we're just going to, put another, like that's not what I'm watching this show for. Um, And it's different if it was like four seasons in, I would get it. I would be like, look, you can't, this, this character has been established completely. There's a whole arc, don't muddy the waters and just bring in somebody else and give a different vibe. But it's one season and we know why, like, or as far as like, she's leaving of her own volition. It wasn't like she was forced out. It wasn't because of some contract drama. She's leaving. So for me, one season in, it's far easier to just be like, put someone else in the role, let them run with it and go from there. If it was, you know, four or five seasons in, I would get the kind of awkwardness of maybe not being able to just fully be on board. But for me, this is not what I'm going to a Batwoman series for. I'm going to see Batwoman and Kate Kane is not really that character she's not that go lucky whatever there's like a bunch of other characters and i'm totally cool by the way of them bringing in this character into the series and making like her a part of it and even if you want to pass the baton at some point okay but like again just as a coming from where we are with the current scenario uh I don't I don't love this. Just, just really good point. You're, you're like you're overcomplicating it. Just put the yeah. <laughs> put the person in, let them run with it, and you know, don't make it so complicated.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, as our own Russ Burlingame, game, who he and his kind of team are are DCTV experts uh, here at comicbook.com and they always have great, great breakdowns on all this. And he was kind of saying that this sounds like they're just mashing up Cassandra Kane's edginess yeah. and Stephanie Brown, kind of like a for more of the goofier side and lighthearted stuff, and like I don't know, it, it, yeah. My only concern is I don't, I don't, I don't mind the idea because I, I have to kind of stay consistent in my belief that comic books are about constant reinvention mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of building new stuff. That that is what they are, and new creative visions. So I have to kind of stay consistent with that. But the only thing I kind of got tripped up by was this just sounds like the description of like a TV focus group character casting. Yeah. Like where everybody's just like, she's goofy, but she's edgy. She's this, (laughs) she's
2: that, she's (laughs) this. Oh, and she's LGBTQ, guys. Like, God, you need to do the introduction. (laughs) It's just (laughs) like,
1: it's like everything in there. I mean, there's some, like, yeah. A girl who, there's a line in here about like, uh... She was a drug runner, dodging the GCPD, masking her pain with bad habits. A girl who would steal milk for an alley cat could also kill you with her bare hands.
3: Like,
2: that's what? That line was a little weird. Like, that was, <laughs> that, was it. that was Now are we on Catwoman? Now I don't it's, know. What's
3: yeah, going for on. real, that's a very Catwoman line. Yeah, it's <laughs> like,
1: yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy. It's like. It's like drug dealer hookers with a heart of gold like and a comic book collection. Like, I don't know. So it just oh, sounds gosh. like a weird character composite. And it just sounds like basically what they're doing is a focus group was like, what does Batwoman need? And they were like, well, what if we make it more like humorous, like Supergirl, like goofy, fun for people and let, you know, that's what they're doing. So they're just doing Batwoman with more humor. I
2: Supergirl when we first started like likable, messy, a little goofy, untamed until they said drug dealer. I was like, oh, it's super. Well, Bowl, that's basically. the Gotham City
1: part. They were like, yeah, that's yeah. the Gotham City part. Isn't you know in <laughs> Gotham,
3: it's you're all those things, but you're also slinging heroin or whatever. Like, and yeah. like, and that's not any hate by the way on like Stephanie Brown, Cassandra Kane. I'm I'm a giant Stephanie Brown fan. Uh, and loved her time as like Batgirl and uh, her spoiler stuff. Like it, it's great. And those characters by themselves are awesome. I don't necessarily need an amalgamation of all no. of them and then with a Batwoman label. Like to me, none of that jives but you know i'm i'm interested uh, and, to see what they do and i'm just kind of uh, one thing i'm just
1: bummed about is during crisis and we're going to move on but during crisis like the kate Kane kind of um what's her name uh supergirls alter ego Kara danvers like that whole relationship and personality yeah. mixed like that was like the closest thing we've seen like to a really good batman superman kind mm-hmm. of bond it, it, on these live action shows like they were great together and i was really looking forward to seeing Ruby Rose and Melissa Benoist like kind of like do that, do something together like a world's finest because they really got that dynamic down and they were really fun. Like, and so yeah. I'm kind of bummed. We're losing that uh, altogether. but all right, let's move on. We got to keep going. Uh, let's talk about Tiger King. Ugh. Cause Tiger King is not done guys. We are not done with Tiger King Gosh. yet. So yeah, the Tiger King thing is just getting started in case you're wondering, like, I mean, we have, we have already talked about the multiple, Movies, TV shows, all this stuff that's happening. Nick Cage is in one. Uh, what, uh, what's her name from Saturday Night Live? Uh, Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon is in another as Carol. So there's a lot of these going around. Here are some a few updates. Okay, so first of all, the story is still evolving, which I love. The story is still ongoing. So it looks like in a move, Carol Baskin has now swooped in and seized control of Joe Exotics Zoo. Which we saw in Tiger King, the whole story was it, how Joe Exotic had this zoo, and then it went to Jeff Lowe, the guy who came in, you know, the always wearing the biker stuff, Jeff yeah. Lowe, uh, banging his wife and the nanny, Jeff Lowe. Um, so, <laughs> like, yeah, he was all making a big thing, and even in the Tiger King follow up special about how this new zoo he was making and how great the GW zoo and like how it was going to be such this great reinvention and everything. But apparently, like, you know, Joe, (coughs) excuse me, it's no surprise here that Joe Exotic had some shady dealings going on, guys, if you can (laughs) believe that. And basically, he had kind of just screwed up this whole land deal and it was accountable. Or no, he had screwed up a deal with Carol and had to pay her money for trademark infringement, you know, quite possibly from all the times he was like, you know, shooting things from her zoo. I'm not sure on the details but uh he sh- transferred his assets over to his mother to kind of hide them of course this is you know not a solution to anything <laughs> eventually somebody's coming for that money and because of that like carol basically took her her payment in the form of the land for his zoo uh and so jeff of course jeff low tried to fight this now lost now carol owns the land for the zoo so Carol Baskin now owns Joe Exotic's land for the zoo, but as Jeff Lowe was still talking trash even this morning of or, or so today, he, he doesn't own the Tigers or any, any of the actual animals. She just, just owns the took land. The land.: Yeah. So Tiger King's still going, y'all. This is, this is still unfolding. Yeah. and Yeah, this is crazy. And we, what brought this back on our radar for me was we got a first look at the Tiger King comic from Tidal Wave Productions. And man, Matt, we got to go through this series when it comes yes, out. Yes.
3: I, I feel like, and it's, it's such a weird thing. Cause like he's cause you don't want, like we had talked about it previously where we were like, Oh, we don't want to like glorify, you know, the like super caricature character that that Joe exotic is, but like, this is insane. Yes. <laughs> like, and it's so insane. Like you just have to, talk about it like yeah we definitely have to like go through those because like this comic is not just oh hey we're going like covering the stuff in the documentary like this thing is like going through his past and yeah it's the comic is basically like
1: it, it it's kind of a continuation of the story in the form of a double pronged way like we saw the preview pages some of it's a sequel so some of it's just like interviews with jeff lowe from as soon as april of this year that they convert in, into a comic book kind of like monologue and series of panels with this very arch looking cartoonish Jeff Lowe and him talking trash about Joe exotic being locked up and how happy he is other parts of it are prequels of like Joe are going to be prequels of Joe and Carol's life before, you know, the material we saw in tiger King. And yeah. And it's like, we see this horrific scene of like when Joe exotic was five and how he was sexually abused by a farmhand on a farm he was working on and there was an entire kind of really intensely creepy panel of this like happening to him as like a young boy so it's it's pretty raw like it's pretty is it true story
2: so this is like the adventures of tiger no 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 this is more material from tiger
1: king yeah okay It's by Michael Frizzell and Joe Paradise and Jesse Johnson are the two artists. And it's material from Tiger King, like interviews afterwards and material just that they had the document, you know, the documentarians about, you know, Joe's story and all these things that they now convert into a comic book form. Um, yeah. so you can just read it that way. And I that was, totally when I heard thought this, this. was going
2: to be like Adventures of Tiger King and just going to be like made-up storylines that are really, I don't know, cartoonish and fun.
4: and.
1: No. Okay, wow. <laughs> this <laughs> okay. is, like but the documentary, right. this thing is raw. It is not well, for the pain of heart. It okay. is pretty crazy. Like I said, there's an entire, you up can look Doctor on Strange. comicbook.com, and there's an entire panel of just like yes of a horrific sexual abuse of a young boy it's like gosh part of the story. so i mean it's going to be pretty raw and it's outlandish and what i wrote about in our article kind of breaking this down is, is how weird it is that this story is so crazy and like so larger than life that in some ways it makes more sense in a comic than it does in a documentary because yes. these characters are just like- Here to like, digest, edit. yeah. Yeah, and it, and it just captures the absurdity of it and like like I said, the larger than life-ness of it. Like the panel with Jeff Hardy is him talking about how good it is to like have Joe in prison, but it's drawn in a way so it's like if you look at it, it's he's in the background with the people filming him talking and in the foreground, it's just a tiger like eating, just tearing apart this piece of meat. And it's like a perfect little emphasis for how this guy is and it's just yeah. like I said, so the artists and the writers are kind of smart and sly about how to kind of tell this story, but also you know, kind of either when to be subversive and when to be kind of empathetic. And it's kind of interesting. So
3: we're gonna be checking this thing out. I say all Who that knew that yeah. the comic would end up being way more uh revealing, I I I should say, Intense. as the special episode. That bonus yeah. episode that they did was like Garbage. oh i know <laughs> compared to like, this RuPaul's like this drag is really... race
2: like when the ladies all meet up and talk uh, talk about each other
3: oh the reunion <laughs> specials on almost any reality show are 10 times better than most of the actual episodes mm-hmm. yeah, definitely oh yeah, so, yeah in this case Oof. very much oh yeah they get heated i love that stuff but all right so that's
1: what's going on in the tiger for King front we're not i mean this is going to keep popping up because as long as we are starved for content and this thing keeps unfolding, we are gonna be talking about this for a while, so uh, yeah. All right, next we're gonna move on and get into our deep dive, and the first thing we're kinda gonna touch on, or well, let's take a break first, because, you know, we gotta pay some bills and this seems like a good time for a break. So let's take a break, then when we come back, we're gonna get into our deep dive where we talk about Rick and Morty, Space Force, what's going on in comics with Moon Knight, and uh, some good vibe stuff to kinda send you guys out.
4: Get IXL now and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
1: All right. So jumping into our deep dive, Rick and Morty has wrapped season four and, uh, Yeah, we've been talking about the series kind of intermittently as it's been going on. We talked about kind of some of the highs, some of the lows, uh, some of the awesome classics like the Vat of Accent episode. But uh, with the season four finale fans, finally, finally the showrunners, and I love Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon for just like what assholes they are sometimes. But they finally gave fans the thing they wanted, which was the kind of, next step in the serialized canon stuff of the show um they picked up a a major storylines they haven't really touched since the beginning of season three which was like 15 timelines ago uh and it basically had to do with and a lot of the other kind of lingering mysteries from season three they did they did everything but evil morty so sorry evil morty fans we still don't know about that um in the citadel of Rick's, but they did the whole kind of lingering feud between Rick the Galactic Federation. They finally answered the mystery of the clone Beth mystery from the end of season three of whether, you know, Rick's daughter Beth was he, did he clone her or was she still the original one? Um, and yeah, we kind of pushed that and a bunch of other storylines with Bird Person and Tammy. And if you know Ricky Morty, you know what I'm talking about. All these storylines forward. And for as much as they seem to really, kind of have grind ground been grinding their teeth this season uh royal and harman about having to be forced into the mold of doing like serialized canon and all that stuff they really actually do know how to put on like a really epic good action-packed serialized episode um there were a lot of jokes in this i mean there were some jokes in this one about how they were just kind of forcing themselves to do a star wars and how much they kind of hated that but that's what it was and so like clone beth comes out back and you find out like one of the best went into space and became this crazy bounty, like, you know, freedom fighter, like fighting the galactic federation. Um, And she comes back, but the federation follows her and then threatens to blow up earth. And then it causes all these problems with Rick and having, and then the best, both best turn on him because like normal family Beth and clone Beth kind of unite and kind of turn on him. Summer and Morty just get an arc that they just keep referring to like as their arc for the episode, (laughs) because they need something to do. And so they learn to be a better brother and sister while fighting over this invisible belt. It's like crazy. Um, Yeah. And like the highlights of course are like, yeah, Tammy, they finally settled this whole thing with Tammy who used to be Summer or Summer's best friend and turned out to be a galactic agent who killed Bird Person, Rick's best friend. Uh, Bird Person is resurrected as Phoenix Person, the cyborg version. They have the epic fight with Rick that is like probably one of the series best fights. Um, Yeah. But in the end, it all ends. I say all that to say with, at the end of every Rick and Morty like season, there's always this kind of meta commentary on like what has changed in the show over the season and like what's where that leaves us for next season. And then this one is kind of more serious and sad that Rick kind of loses control of his family. Both Beth's turn on him. Like I said, the kids just think he's a POS and Jerry even gets like some licks in on him. And they're just like, and so he's all alone. He has bird person locked in a cage in, in kind of his cabinet in kind of a walking dead zombie situation where he's trying to like bring him back and he's just like a freaking out. And so he's just kind of all alone. It was kind of one of the more darker nihilistic ends for Rick and Morty, but that happens every other season. Every odd season ends on this kind of manic note of like Rick freaking out about how the next season is going to be awesome and he's just going to do whatever he wants. And it's going to be these crazy monologues. And then every even number season ends on him, like in some dark depressing place. So it's like a manic depression thing. I don't know um yeah season two ended with him being locked in galactic federation jail because he found out he his family he was you know basically making them implode and so he just gave himself up and wa- and let himself be caught and locked in jail but of course the season three that turned out to be a ploy and he destroyed the entire galactic federation so there you yeah. go and that was why season three ended with like this monologue about how it was gonna be crazy but um yeah and so this one ends with him just all alone in the garage having kind of alienated the family so Looking back over it, Rick and Morty season four was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, There were some things that were better than season three, some things that I think we'll need to digest over more time. But uh, this was one hell of a finale. And hopefully season five isn't like 15 years away, because I don't know if we're banking that money that will be here, baby. So uh, let's just try to get it sooner before later. All right, let's go on. and We're going to talk about Netflix's Space Force. Janelle was like all psyched to get into this today like she kind of was like doing a miss cleo i was going to press play on netflix to start this series and i get this like very excited janelle message just like oh my god you watch space force and i was like i'm about to now <laughs> um yeah and we had but, like uh, a
3: little mini quarantine watch party
1: yeah like <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, good like but uh Yeah, so Space Force is the new Netflix series by a lot of the people who made a lot of the funny shows you like, and starring a lot of people from a lot of funny shows you like, like V, Parks and Rec, The Office, you know that kind of crowd of uh, ironic, sight humor kind of workplace comedies um, and 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 or political comedies, and it is about obviously the new branch of the military that was established under the current administration, which is Space Force, uh, which
2: So great.
1: Yeah, and the show basically, uh, you know, Space Force is is this weird, evolving concept of us basically militarizing space that is still kind of vague and unclear about, like, what it is we're doing. It has a flag. Um, Yeah, it has a flag. They have official (laughs) uniforms. They look like, I mean, everybody's been ragging on how they're ripping off Star Trek for all of this. Like, there's a lot of jokes. And so this series, I mean, it looks at that, but it's kind of, again like the office and and looked at kind of the absurd monotony of corporate office life and existence and all that stuff like that Parks and Rec was about kind of the absurd monotony of kind of governmental process and bureaucracy um this is about kind of the absurdity in process of kind of the military and government military relationship and like what that's all about and and kind of yeah kind of running towards these ideas even in show of like force and stuff like that even if we don't know what the actual thing we're doing is um and how Episode it
2: was of... with the like chimp and yeah space. i'm only
1: i only did the first two and so the first one is of course introducing like what it is and steve carell is this commander who gets put in charge of space force and the second episode is them trying to repair a damn a satellite that's been damaged by a foreign satellite coming in and like taking out these little robotic arms and snapping off their thing and this it was really like anyway it's it china group. right yeah, yeah it's it china was, it was and china. so they yeah. have to try to use the two animals that they have in space which is a monkey and a dog to try to fix this and there's a whole episode dedicated to them trying to convince this monkey to fix the shuttle um
2: they have to like go out
1: yeah into space and do a spacewalk.
2: it's so funny
1: and it's oh and gosh. it's meanwhile the scientists
2: i like we should know that the relationship between like the military aspect and then the scientists in charge is something really awesome to watch too yeah and john
1: malkovich is the scientist they're just so so
2: good it's like him
1: and steve carell are 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 kind of going at it all the time and it's really funny and ben schwartz uh john rafio from parks and rec is (laughs) like the pr is the pr guy and Mm -hmm. nobody does that kind of like nerdy scumbag douche like guy quite like him and he's so funny <laughs> like yeah but you should be sending it, a tweet about this yeah this is i mean netflix kind of allows these guys to kind of play it a little bit deeper than they usually do and i can see why people don't necessarily get like space force and, and immediately fall in love with it the first episode it took me a minute and i had to watch it because i was distracted the first time so i had to go back and kind of rewatch some of the things that kind of popped up because i was so confused And then I realized it is confusing because there are mysteries they drop in like that you're not expecting. Like that scene with Lisa Kudrow suddenly. yeah. We're just gonna talk, like these are, it's hard to say spoilers for any of this because it's just, it's not really spoiling, but there's just a scene where- The
2: whole show, yeah. Yeah.
1: Her character, like, Changes very drastically from like when you meet her to like when she
3: shows back up in a later scene. And that's what made me rewind and go, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, what am I missing? <laughs>
0: <What here?" happened? laughs> yeah, you and, do feel happened?
3: like you miss a whole segment of the show with that, and then you're like, no, no, that's purposeful. That's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then
1: so it shows up these mysteries that you have to kind of that are slowly unpacking over the course of the show, and yeah, uh it takes a minute in the first episode, but like once it clicks into what kind of humor you're looking at and like what the real kind of gag of it is and there are so many and like every single frame does have like a lot of humor and jokes and and from the visual to the dialogue in it um it's pretty enjoyable like and i liked it and the second episode is very funny with just steve carell kind of playing it straight as this very rigid military guy who can like who stinks through sheer force of will and like just kind of you know get it done itness like he could convince a monkey to kind of repair a shuttle in this whole setup and premise is just great and what the monkeys like
2: scientists are like behind him trying to figure out something else like an actual option to fix
3: this i think that's that's the thing that surprised me most about the show is that you know as a giant office fan and even as a giant like one, I do love that his version like his his general is like this weird off brand Gru. like the voice is it's like this weird middle ground like he sounds like Gru a little. Like, because he, he adds some, like, little snarl to his delivery and stuff like that. Um, so that takes a minute. It does. But I didn't even think do- about that. Oh, yeah. Totally. Like, he totally oh, does. My like, oh, my gosh. Um yeah. So, like, at times when he's talking and giving, like, speeches, especially, like, in the high school and stuff, it sounds like Guru is up there, like, trying to convince all these people to join Space Force. But, like, it's his – the way he approaches the character is surprising. That's – I think that's, to me, the most jarring thing when you start watching it is that he's not – inherently funny he's not he's not trying to like i mean that's the thing right like michael scott's always like trying to be funny and things like that and he's not he's very rigid uh, no, he's a straight much, man in this like, yeah. he's very much that uh but it's and and that's the thing too that's kind of interesting is that um he's also right a lot more than you would assume you know you would assume he's going to play this kind of buffoonish general and and yes. really he's like the guy that gets it done most of the time like it's actually like there's a great line towards the end of the first episode yeah he's talking to john malkovich yeah Yeah, and he's like i saw the umbrella and like you know you're never going to get anything done with that kind of fear and like that's a that's a great line he even points that out and he does that through several times in those first two episodes and um I think and that's I, the thing that, and I think really you're nailing something that we
1: should probably highlight before we move on, which is I feel like a lot of people this show will split because you know obviously the intensely dynamite charged level of part like you know difference yeah. in politics right now in our society will make people think oh this is just making fun of this and it is, but it's not. It's actually kind of a deeper show. Like that scene you're talking about with Malkovich at the end of the first episode, it it really does. It the point of that scene is kind of that you know. It is a relationship, right? To get things done and, and to kind of progress, especially in America, like it's always a relationship. The scientist was too neurotic. The umbrella thing Matt's referencing is he saw one of the scientists where they were going to do this test launch he was carrying an umbrella because it might rain that day. And he kind of assessed that this guy was going to be too scared and too neurotic to kind of just go for it and, you know, not wait for the the perfect exact time to launch this rocket and just kind of, you know do what they had to do to get it up and and get it done where he pushes them and they all think it's going to go disastrously but it works out and then the scientist says John Malkovichian is like how did you know like that like that this would work and he was like you know I didn't but I knew I saw that guy with the umbrella and I knew that we would never get this done with that kind of thinking like you got to you got to have a brave so it's a relationship between you know that military fortitude and the scientific analysis and the different parts that got to kind of come together to get these big things done. Like it is a relationship and, you know, we need each other
3: is kind of the thing
1: that it's kind of under the underlying point of it all is. Yeah.
3: Like the concept gets punched a couple of times, like by people within the military of like, Oh my God, that's like a joke or whatever. But Like the evil military branch, yeah. like
2: the one that you're rooting against. I always thought when the story started that we were going to be rooting against Space Force because of the whole like premise and like where it's coming from. Exactly. But then you start to kind of go, well, they're the underdog. And I kind of want them to like excel yeah. because they could do something really great.
3: That's, yeah, they're not it's the so constant funny. punching Yeah,
2: yeah. the yeah, character so. kind of like when he got assigned to it, it to begin with, he was kind of like, ha ha, like he thought it was a joke. And then when he got assigned it, he's like, well, then I'm going to take it serious. And it's, it's funny because he thought it was a joke, too. And then it yeah. turns out it's real.
3: <laughs> yeah. And that's you end up rooting for him yeah. and, these, and this crew. So, yeah, it's, it's very much it's not the paint by numbers parody yeah. that I feel some will go into it expecting. Um, you know but and some of the best gags are just like Corel just doing weird things like his running his constant yeah. march running <laughs> like are you him, Roy, the, him Roy, Roy, that, yeah. Roy Wood Jr Roy
1: Wood Jr is really oh funny Oh my god nice. he's so good uh, um, yeah, but yeah sure. because even though the orders it, it has a lot to do with people trying to reasonably fit into orders that are so <laughs> crazy that like just getting their head around the orders and how to execute them is part of the show too and there's a lot of jokes about that um, for the real people who have to hear things like we're building Space Force. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, how do you, what do you do with that? So check it out on Netflix. Let us know what you think. Let me move on to comics real quick. Um, I don't know how many comics Matt has this week or if we have comics this week, who knows? Um, but I think everybody's on a pause right now or, I don't know, but so, anyway. So, yeah, I mean, we do have comics. It's
3: a smaller amount this okay. week. Well, uh, let's just start with
1: what we're uh, talking about. You mentioned last week, and Avengers is running this new storyline called uh, it's Age of Country, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, I checked that out and I thought it was interesting. I thought we should just touch on that real quick because this was a good one to talk about because Moon Knight is coming to the MCU. Uh, we've had a lot of Moon Knight conversations. There's a lot of Moon Knight stands in this crew. Um, and now Moon Knight's kind of turned out to be kind of a D in the Marvel Universe. He's going around and he's pulling a Baron Mordo from the movies and he's stealing kind of the uh, abilities of several key people in the Marvel Universe. And this is all at the behest of the god he works for, Kanshu, who apparently needs Moon Knight to do this to prevent some kind of oncoming apocalypse. So, yeah, he, uh, in this first thing, he takes out uh, Iron Fist.
3: Which is one of the coolest, yeah, I think, sequences. Yeah, he takes oh, yeah. out uh, Iron Fist. Um Doctor you could... Strange. Yeah, Doctor Strange. He gets the Eye of Agamotto.
1: Uh, oh, man, I'm blanking. Who else is uh,
3: blank Black Panther, that fight will come next issue, yeah. but they do kind of, there is this like overwhelming, like, oh, my God, there's an army of mummies. <laughs> oh, Mj-
1: Oh, Mjolnir. Okay, I need to get Thor. in on this. Yeah, and he yes. takes out Thor. Oh, and my gosh. Yeah, in, like, this awesome way. So... Basically what Age of shu is doing is is delving into Mark Spector's the mystical aspects that he serves which you know come up in different ways in the series but now there's this prime directive from shu that he needs to prevent some kind of calamity um and basically he's going to need these powers all of these powers to kind of do it and so he's collecting powers that are in some kind of way related to the moon which is really interesting uh, and there's all these kind of things about how when he goes to fight each of these people, he's talking to them and kind of telling them and explaining their relationship to why Kanchu and, like, Mjolnir is, like, the best one. So like, good. He kind of schools Thor on, like, not understanding what his hammer is and, like, what the Uru metal that it's made from is. And he basically says it's, like, moon metal. So, therefore, it's under Kanchu's jurisdiction. And so he beats Thor with Mjolnir, which is crazy. Um, and so, like, yeah... And it, what's interesting about this and what I liked about this first issue is and, uh, and I've read it really fast so I'm kind of unclear because I haven't checked in on Moon Knight Lake recently. Are these, and so I had a question for you Matt, are these each fight he's in a different form of uh, there's a different form of Moon Knight. Are these separate personalities or are these just Mark Specter in different phases of his kind of identities and personalities?
3: So that is actually something that is I feel like is a purposeful misdirect. We aren't Sure. Um, okay. What it seems like is that um, for, like, each each fight, he is kind of reaching into a different bag of tricks. And so he does kind of adopt a different form to fight that person. Um, but his personalities are more tied to, like, you know, like Jake Lockley and, like, people. And, and his mannerisms change is – like manner of speech and like his uh aggression changes too depending on who he is so those stay relatively consistent throughout the whole issue so i think it's just a visual thing i yeah, don't a, think there are different times the fights took place and yeah and different kind um, of, yeah it was cool to see mr knight that, that yeah. was that was mr awesome. knight
1: was there the full moon night and then like his kind of Kung Fu Warrior dude that he fights Iron Fist which was my favorite. Yeah, that was uh, in their awesome. conversation cuz he's so polite and he's like not a bad guy. He's just like right. I need the Iron Fist and he's like okay, well I'm here. He's like no, 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 no. You misunderstand like no, I need <laughs> the Iron Fist like I'm taking your power. I need this. And so like yeah. So, you know, these always these crossover things get really they can go be hit or miss, but uh Age of Kung the start was really good. I thought this was really interesting and I, it's really interesting how they're kind of spinning all this Marvel mythology back towards Moon Knight, um, who's a character who has often been overlooked in, in Marvel at different periods. He gets lost in the waves. Then he pops back up because can't, you can't keep a good Moon Knight down, but uh, Marvel's Batman down. But uh, yeah, he, this is kind of one of the more interesting things. And, and I'm looking forward now to seeing how they expand the mythology of Khonshu and his influence in the Marvel universe and how important or not of a God he is in, yeah. in mythology. And it seems like he's getting a much bigger kind of role in mythos reveal. So we're
3: going to be keeping our eyes on that one. Cause that was, a, that was a good read. I think one of the coolest things that um, Jason Aaron does, and because Jason Aaron did the same thing, ironically with Thor, uh, with when he went and essentially reworked and also added in and expanded all of Thor's mythos in a huge way. I mean, You know, Jane Foster's Thor is all under Aaron's you know kind of era and what he added and and expanded upon. He's doing the same thing with with Moon Knight, and that's like one of the coolest things. That like when Iron Fist approaches Moon Knight, it's very much in a like, oh, I know you. Like it's a snap your fingers, as Kevin Hart says, like a snap your fingers. Like oh, I know you. Hey, we should have teamed up by now, and like a lot a lot. Like he's he's regarded as kind of like this fanatical dude that like you kind of team up with if you have to but he's always kind of on the outskirts and like Dr. Strange kind of has the same demeanor towards him uh Black Panther is a little different um but you know Thor is very much the same thing like he kind of talks to him like a like an afterthought and that's the kind of thing that like Mark Specter is always so lost in his in his own uh craziness sometimes in his own personalities. And he's always in his own head. Dude, my so favorite are
1: scenes of him talking to himself and Khonshu. Just right. Like, sitting in yeah. a room by himself. And
3: like, they're like, I love those like, and like where they would have all, you know, his personalities and then Khonshu just all like talking around a table or like sitting there debating stuff. So if you like take that out and you go like, if Spectre was ever just solely focused and didn't have all that stuff to kind of deal with, Like, this is what the dude could do. And uh, yeah, the Thor scene is the best thing because he beats him up with his own hammer. He literally calls like all the moons of like from across the universe uh, to converge on one place. Like, it's really- Oh, I forgot about that small detail. He imprisons him, doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah, in a moon, in a series of moons and pones him with his hammer because of course, yeah, he doesn't, again, like these powerful heroes, and Doctor Strange, it happens too. These powerful heroes sometimes- get lost in their own ego a little bit and they get lost in their own abilities and you have to kind of ground them with someone who doesn't think on that level. He's a very he's lost in his own stuff. So when he can expand he he kind of pulls them down to earth. It's interesting to see Aaron dissect that. And I'm very curious to see like what the threat is and also what else he can add. You know, oh he also jacks Ghost Rider's car. (laughs) oh that's uh, right i forgot it. robbie oh, ray like yeah he jacks his he jacks his hot rod like that was really <laughs> cool yeah, yeah. that was, wasn't
1: that mr knight yeah, Joey yeah just, oh my that was God. a great yeah so good yeah. that's
3: great yeah,
1: that's, that's a great one just pulling a grand theft auto all right so we're gonna be keeping <laughs> our, our uh, eye on avengers age of country one of many crossovers happening this summer that we'll probably be talking to you guys about moving on let's end the show we're gonna soak in some good vibes like i said so we're going to go back. The world is kind of really divided and violent and crazy and in upheaval. So we thought we'd try to just share some memories about times that were really good that had to do with uh, geekdom or fandom and times you felt like, you know, you felt like they, things had really come together under that umbrella and it really meant something to you. So I'll kick it off. And mine's kind of broad. But when I was really thinking of all the little specific moments, I, I kind of reached one. I found I had like a lot of them pooling into one place. and. That turns out to be um, the year 1990. The year was 1999. And uh, yeah, the 1999 year movie, uh, movies really kind of changed my life uh, in a big way. And there were so many happy memories that I found like contained under that one year of that bubble. And people have done lots of writing and look backs about this and kind of like asking, is 1999 possibly like the best year in movies ever? Uh, you'll find a lot of articles in that. And it it is quite possible, yes. I was a senior in high school dating myself. Um, Not dating myself in high school. I am now dating myself by saying that. Um, Jeez. That's great. uh, I love it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm old. But yeah, I was a senior in high school. And that was a year that I realized things had changed. And it did change. Blockbuster movies kind of entered that new phase that we are in. Like a lot of times people had genres of movies they liked. They had stars they liked and saw. You went to see a Stallone movie or you liked sci-fi or you did this. But 1999 is where movies became so big that they became just like global phenomenons that really became the focus of the zeitgeist. We're talking like this was the year of The Matrix, Fight Club, American Beauty, uh, The Phantom Menace. Like Oh man, Varsity Blues, The Mummy, The Sistence. Off the Space, Boondock, Saints, Blair Witch, Eyes Wide oh Shut, The Iron Giant, Deep Blue Sea, Mr. Ripley, Being John Malkovich, uh, Virgin Suicides, The Wood, Wild Wild West for Matt, um, <laughs> Never Been <laughs> Never Been Kissed, Galaxy Quest. Oh, Deuce Galaxy Bigelow, Quest. Galaxy Quest. Yeah. So Deuce Bigelow, Entrapment, The Thomas Crown Affair, Three Kings. Man. So why this was so important to me was, just taking a handful of those. Uh, The Matrix, Star Wars, The Sixth Sense. I went to a high school that is very small. It's almost like a private school size and it's very much a microcosm. There's a lot of different people there, uh, like a heavily Jewish community. We had problems that year with white nationalists invading our school. My mom set up an FBI sting in our school to kind of look into that. That's a whole separate story, but One thing that was interesting is we were all leaving high school and I saw like everybody in my high school kind of unite over, over talking about movies because we had nothing to do. We go to lunch. We sit out on this place called the tombs. We were seniors. We were leaving. We didn't care, but everybody started kind of uniting and having these mass discussions about the matrix or about Star Wars, or later when we were just hanging out in summer, we talk about the craziness of the sixth sense and that twist and everything. And everybody just was always talking or deep blue sea and Sam Jackson. And what happened was Blair, Witch real, you know, all these conversations that began fight club, blew people's minds, American pie came out. So we had these in varsity blues. And so we actually had these moments where we all went to our town theater together. We all were there to see Star Wars. We were all there to see American pie. We were all there to see, varsity blues and cheer and we snuck in beers and did all that and we had these huge moments together and we would talk about them all the time at school and it really kind of clicked something in my head that you know what the power of fandom was and it sparked this little idea in my head at the time um that you could make stuff that brought people together and fans to just discuss movies like that it didn't have to be all about insider knowledge or celebrity interviews that you could legit just make a place of fans talking about fan stuff, talking with other fans about fan stuff, and that it it would be a kind of real, a real kind of hit in things because people love to do that more so than we've ever thought. And ironically enough, that is what sparked me the idea to kind of get into this industry and join with a bunch of other people I knew and writers and stuff, and uh, start a site that would kind of, you know, cater to that idea. And we successfully did that, and it caught on. And I'm I'm just happy to be in a world now that we helped push that along. And we now have so many of these sites where fans gather and can, you know, enjoy their own power as fans and express themselves and build stuff for themselves. And I really love that. And so that's kind of why I do not to get too deep with you guys, but that's what I do. What I do, and why I love doing this, and even doing this podcast with these two crazy people and uh, talking to you about all this stuff. Uh, (laughs) because that's where it came from it actually came from a place for me of seeing people come together together, I've seen in a time much like this where I was in like I said a school where we were looting looking at you know people who were trying to incite violence and division and this thing bringing people together really kind of impacted me and changed my life so I'm glad for the year 1999 so that's my story Janelle, and Matt, why don't you guys hit us with something that's nice and uh, you some good vibes for the yeah. family and we'll get out of here. Janelle,
2: why don't you go? Okay, um, so and the pressure's on
1: because you're like the good vibe ambassador, I so know. like make well, us all feel I, good.
2: I do have to say that, like, uh, for me, only child um, kind of left out. Similar, like, I was in a very small school for most of my life, um, or for the beginnings of my of my childhood, I was kind of the poor kid and made fun of for that and things like that. So I was very alone a lot. So for me, like getting my first console, my first gaming console is what completely took me away from kind of the bullying and things like that, that I was undergoing. And it took me into a whole nother world. So my nerdum starts in gaming for sure. Um, And so when I got my first super Nintendo specifically, I just, I loved it so much. And because of that, I found one friend, like one friend, because there was only two controllers that could play with me and play games with me, even though most of the games are one player and specifically Donkey Kong Country 2. I started, that's my first game I ever really played. So I love it. And fast forward to being an adult, when they actually released Donkey Kong Country Returns, it I lost my mind because it really it helped me escape like some tough times, and I just I loved it so much. And then also the launch of the N sixty four, because that took me from one friend to three friends because you could plug in four controllers.
1: Oh yeah, and play
2: together. <laughs> Get that and golden it, eye. I mean, seriously, I was the kid who had the consoles and though like, you know, I was, I was a girl and I was like the only one of my friends that was a girl and had all the consoles at my house. I had the Super Nintendo. I then had the 64. I had the GameCube and it honestly, it even pushed me into college. Like I was in, I I was living in a four bedroom apartment in college and a huge hurricane came in. I was in Florida. Everyone lost their power except for us and we literally had 40 people sleeping on our floors and playing my consoles from my childhood. And it was just such a development to see that I started kind of playing by myself. And then I eventually like provided all this entertainment for tons of people. And uh, that's so that's been really, that would probably be my favorite memories is just playing all of these awesome games. And PS, if anybody wants to tweet me about your favorite video game, I love to talk video games anytime. But yeah, gaming is it for me, for sure. Yeah, definitely. From the start, Super Nintendo Matt, forward.
1: You better close this out and
3: you better make it yeah. powerful. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, okay. <laughs> I don't know about powerful. Pressure. Uh, what, I, what I will say, and it's probably no surprise, one of mine is actually tight. And it's actually good that we hit movies, we hit games, and now we're going to hit comics. Uh, one of one of my... Um, something... And I, I was kind of like... Uh, Janelle I'm an only child and and for me I, I bounced around a lot uh, like I, for a while there I was at a different school every year um, oh my god we really so, gotta do psych
1: tests in this hiring
3: process <laughs> I was, I was at a different kidding. school if they did I was, I'd never be here <laughs> <laughs> I was at a different school every year um, one year was actually in two different schools uh, and like so you kind of learn to like you know compartmentalize like you'll make a friend you'll make two friends maybe but then you know you're gonna leave. So it, it's hard to kind of get adjusted. And when I first, uh, when I came to, to Nashville, um, I, you know, first thing you find for me anyways, when I move to a new place, I find a Chinese restaurant because I need Chinese food. <laughs> and then I find Must. a comic store. I find Must. a comic store. Those are two spots. I always find one. And so I found one here and, and I went, I actually got involved there with like some, like they were doing like an art class. So I did that. And then I kind of, they were like, hey, every Wednesday new books release and we have like a couple of us just like come here we'll talk we'll sit at the store and we'll just talk about new comics and then we'll like you know sometimes go to dinner and stuff like that and I was like you know they invited me to come along so I came along I knew one person it was like eight of them and so it's like intimidating a little bit and you know you have some people who've been reading comics like since it seems they were five (laughs) and others just started but that group I one I learned so much and we used to do it every Wednesday every Wednesday I was there we were there for a couple hours and then we would go eat and we would just talk about comics the industry and then you just start talking about your lives and you start relating to these people on a personal level as opposed to just like you know talking about Green Lantern or whatever and it was such a over the course of years i made so many friends from that and it was it became such a kind of part of my weekly life that i look forward to it was just a joyous thing just to talk with people and honestly it was also talking with people who were enthusiastic about comics uh you know social media can be very cynical uh, a lot of times especially about any industry but comics especially it's always easy to, to find the negative and that's also part of the reason why like i don't really talk about books that i don't like is that there's a lot of books that i don't like but i don't talk about them because i remember what that was like just talking about the things you enjoy and talking about things that bring brightness to your day. And it didn't make any sense to hover around the negative. We talked about some of that stuff, but it was small. And I love that enthusiasm about a genre. And I love that about comics. And that's why, to this day, that, some of that stuff still sticks with me. Stuff I learned, stuff that people recommended to me, I would recommend stuff. It was just like, you always felt like you were learning and growing, both as a fan of a medium, and also as a person. And so that has always stuck with me. And one of these days, I don't get to go anymore, really, just because of work and time and things like that. But whenever I get the chance, I try. And it's always a rewarding experience. So I would suggest, you know, if you ever go to a comic store when things kind of get to a point where we're normal, you know, again, and there isn't, like, this, you know, threat, it's one of those things I would definitely suggest if you're looking for a community you find the right one, it can be a very rewarding thing. And also there is a very much that with we just started a DD group uh with some of the guys at Comic Book. And uh that same enthusiasm, that same love and imagination can very much be found in tabletop and role-playing as well. So if you're looking for a community, there are some out there and they can be very rewarding experiences for the rest of your life. Okay. I was with you to the
1: end, the D and D thing. You lost me, but I was with you on the, <laughs> you should try it. I, I it would don't, be very interesting. Oh, I, 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 I've been there, buddy. I have been in the McDonald's doing that. Awesome. Don't, yeah. About that. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, it's a good thing. I like how you brought it all around to so don't hover around the negative aspects and uh, talk about the indulging the things you love. All right. That's a good way to end. That'll do it for this episode of comic book nation. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. If you were looking for a safe haven to be in, I hope we can provide one as a distraction from quarantine, social tensions, personal stuff, everything that's going on in this wonderful year of our Lord 2020. Uh, we put up new episodes every Wednesday and every Friday on comicbook.com. We can find... A subscription to our rss feed and get regular updates about the show or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms we're on itunes stitcher spotify google Podcasts, google playlist you can tell your amazon alexa device to fire up comic book nation podcast or you can see our smiling faces on the comicbook.com youtube page if you want to chime in on anything we talk about drop topics or just say hello you can hit us up at the hashtag comic book nation or you can find me at kofi outlaw
2: you can find me at Janelle Wheeler. And also I just want to give a huge shout out. Uh, compendium number four of The Walking Dead was sent to me off my Amazon wish list by, by a podcast listener. So thank you so much for that. I'm so excited. That's Bruce, awesome. Amazing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and right. where can they find you, Matt?
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. Awesome, All right. Man. That'll do
1: it. One day we will be back in the studio. And when we do, like I said, we're doing t-shirt-arama, baby. Janelle sporty one right now. If you're watching, they are great t-shirts. I'm just doing the regular CB, not branding enough. But uh, we will be sending out a whole bunch. So go on iTunes, leave us a five-star review. And when we get back, we are going to go through all these quarantine five-star reviews. And we're going to give a bunch of people some t-shirts. So be sure to leave those reviews. Thank you again for tuning in for Comic Book Nation. You guys stay safe out there. Stay sane. Stay healthy. Check in with us if you need any of us, if you need to, just to say what's up. And uh, we hope to see you next time. Peace.